Welcome to EdTech Examined, a series about educational technology and what you need to know. I'm Eric Christensen. And I'm Chris Hans. This is episode 15, Students Being Critical. Welcome to another episode of EdTech Examined. Uh, in this episode, we are interviewing Mohsen Shahini from the platform Critic. So welcome, Mohsen. Thanks very much for doing this. Thank you for having me. So we have a few questions lined up for you. I uh, want to talk a little bit about the company that you've created, Critic. So our first question is that, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what the Critic platform is and some of the services that you offer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Critic uh, is, in a nutshell, is a, a new assessment platform for students, uh, especially for post-information technology era, where information is really readily available everywhere. Um, so Critic is helping educators, professors, universities to be able to assess a students in this new type of uh, war. And I'm curious, so I was looking through the website for your for your platform, and you had a fairly in-depth about page, which was cool about what you do, kind of the uh, kind of the fundamentals of the company, like what you're about. And I was I was curious, what was the inspiration for it? And how did you meet the partners that uh, you work with on that? Uh, so actually, the partner stories, I, I, you know, could probably uh, talk about it separately about because uh, the, the partner is Karen, Karen Merritt. She's actually my fiance. And um, it's actually quite an interesting story because when I started, you know, we didn't have plan to start as, you know, co-founders. Uh, we kind of get it to this uh, idea from two different angles and it just actually came up completely out of the fluke. Uh, and, um, and, and the whole concept of, you know, having your you know, co-founder to be, I guess, your partner, your wife, whatever that uh, you leave with. It's uh, also an interesting topic that I think it's it's worthwhile, you know, kind of maybe talking about it uh, because there's a lot of uh, perceptions around, you know, people working with their partners, if they're successful and, you know, does it work even or not. But if, if, if I want to just not get into that one, uh, we, you know, you know, as I said, Karine was coming from, uh, a, a background where she was very interested in learning, so she was a student. She, in fact, she has multiple degrees. She she's got a few degrees from back in France, where she was born and raised. And then when she came to Canada, then even though she had a master degree, then she went back to get her undergrad degree in psychology from the Laurentian University, the online university. So she was just actually. Uh, finishing up that degree in online university. So, uh, and we obviously live together. And, uh, you know, it's been a while for me. It's been like more than a, maybe a decade uh, being away from university assessments, you know, assignments. A lot of things stayed the same. Uh, but one thing which was new to me was her experience in online learning. And then the way that she was trying to uh, get feedback from students, uh, sorry, from, from the professors. And in generally speaking, just, you know, trying to make sure that she has gotten enough feedback and knows uh, if she's learning or not. And it was challenging because she was always coming and trying to, you know, talk to professors, emailing the professor and professors that, you know, there was no synchronous learning. She hadn't met the professor. Maybe she has seen some emails, um, some recorded video. Uh, so there wasn't really that much of attention that she could receive from professor. So she was always kind of frustrated, but she did her best. And she created like a sort of a platform using Google Docs or whatever to get all her peers in together. And then they created sort of a community to help each other uh, when it came to, you know, uh, you know assignments. Um, the other issue which was interesting to me was she would spend a lot of time writing, you know, essays. She was, you know, she's an A-type student. She, she wanted to, you know, get the best, you know, grade, you know, the best productions of essay or assignments that she could do. But she would be very disappointed then when she would submit it, and then the professor would simply would say, "Awesome, great job," you know, or sometimes you would just say one word of, oh, "Okay, you know, you could have used better citations or did that," 
And then she would just get frustrated. It's like, you know, you know, I spent so much time on this. I wish that, you know, I felt that, you know, I could get more feedback. So that was where she was coming. And, I, you, know, I, you know, it was just happening, you know, in our, I guess, in our life together. But at the same time, I was a top hat. I was coming at this problem at a completely different angle, which kind of sometimes is very interesting when you look at it. So I was a top hat. And a top hat, I was in, engaged in a pro, uh, problem of uh, creating course content. Um, because Top Hat had launched something called Content Marketplace, uh, aiming to disrupt the you know publishers, you know the way that publishers create content. So at Top Hat, we tried to sort of create a community of professors that they would you know write content, and instead of students paying you know 150, 200 dollars for a printed textbook then we could actually leverage the content that a lot of professors had already created. And then we just created sort of a collaborative authoring platforms. And then hopefully that would, you know, sort of make it easier for content to be produced and at the same time make it more interactive and also the cost would go down. And we have gotten, you know, some great success with that. And Top Hat is, you know, as, as, as we talk, actually is still doubling down on that path. And I think that's a very great, uh, great uh, uh, venture um, for the future of education, but there was one particular problem that me and my team we were facing, and the problem was the authors, like the professors who would actually write content, they needed to first of all they were busy to to just come up with creating content, but all of like a lot of time they would have to spend a lot of time to to write content. They were busy, but worst case, they, a lot of questions that they would put as a question banks for their content, it would go the answer would go live like literally after a semester or two. So they had to recycle it pretty much every semester. Or they get leaked online or something like that. That's exactly. I know that, I know that uh, just interject. I know that one of the concerns of the institution I work at, as well as where Chris is at, at the university of Calgary, well, he's at both, but do you see this come up platforms like course hero or something where, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you've put time into an assignment. And of course the faculty member has it basically leaked. People know ahead of time, so between uh, Rate My Prof and Course Hero, they can almost anticipate exactly how they're going to do in a course, and they don't get the challenge, right? They they can avoid all obstacles. Oh yeah, much like yesterday, I received an email from one of our professor who said me this to say, "I thought you might be interesting. An educational startup in China called Essay Edu is selling the answers to my weekly top hat assignments for five hundred forty six dollars." And then she, and then he was like. You know, it's only for 10% of their grade, but I'm surprised how, you know, some people might go that far and pay that much money for 10% grade. But yeah, this is the new, you know, startup, I guess, educational ideas that some people, I guess, come up with where you basically help the students to cheat. And it's just coming, you know, like a mushroom. Every year you see a lot of these uh, these sort of ventures coming out. So we kind of, on the other side of the, the battle, we try to help professor. We try to make sure the students actually do the job. So... Uh, yeah, so we, we had this trouble that professors just felt that they need to, um, you know, kind of keep doing the work, and then the answers go online. Then, you know, I, I, I realized that, you know, I, you know, from the business side, I had seen the, a few models that had worked um, in, I guess, Airbnb or, or, you know, Uber, where you would try to crowdsource, you know, uh, sort of... Uh, certain enterprises where they used to be more centralized and you crowdsource them, and it worked very well. And then I knew that there are a lot of students, at least from my experience when I was undergrad and a lot of friends that I was with at that time, we actually, you know, pretty capable of, you know, creating good quiz questions. And as a student, I remember it's a lot of times I felt that the questions that the professors gave me in exam was dumb. I was like, this question is stupid. Like, it doesn't really actually measure you know, if I'm actually learning the material. Um, and I was some, a lot of times I was frustrated. So, so I was like talking to professors um, and brainstorming the idea of whether we could actually get students as a part of their assignment mm. to actually come up with course curations, course content curations, you know, uh, searching online, maybe putting together case studies or, you know, sort of new type of assignments, assignments where there is no correct answer that you could just, you know, expect that someone has it online. Um, and then, you know, obviously professors love that idea. The problem was that who wants to grade them? Who wants to now look at the quality control? Which then again, I was like, why don't we just do the, the crowd itself to do that? 
Um, so, you know, at the same time as I was talking to Karine, and I saw how Karine, uh, she was getting feedback from her peers, then I, these two ideas kind of merged together. We kind of developed these solutions where students can get feedback from their peers. And then it's the peers itself, actually, that they would uh, try to figure out which feedback is better than the other feedback. So there's a lot of feedbacks that can come from different angles, but then we would then in, in, inject a technology using data uh, to try to sort of using uh, artificial intelligence, uh, data mining, figuring out who is actually a good evaluator, who is a good critical thinker, and, and we, we make sure that the, the accuracy is there and the trust in the, you know, is there. So, so that's basically how this whole idea, I guess, was formed. So you and maybe Mosin, just to uh, kind of even take a step back uh, in terms of your history and your background, uh, you were a co-founder of Top Hat, and maybe just for our listeners, if you can give a little bit of background on what exactly Top Hat is mm. as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Top Hat, um, when we started, uh, I mean Top Hat is now called the teaching platform for active learning. That's what it is today. We call it, you know, teaching platform for active learning. We started about. You know, 10 years ago, um, 2009, uh, we, we were sort of a replacement of clickers. You can call it that way. That's how people recognize us at the beginning, where, you know, instead of students buying another gadget, which was inexpensive, also was very inconvenient, then we leveraged the use of their mobile devices. So uh, students would bring, you know, their mobile, and then they could be engaged in the classroom, especially a large classroom. Um, professor really loved that idea. Students love it. They could get you know some some feedback. They understand how their peers are doing. Um, so that's how uh, Top Hat started. And then in 2014-15, then uh, we started this new uh, project called Content Marketplace. So we started getting to more of a content than just being a sort of a tool for professor to to engage us in the class. Which, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the idea was that we try to you know make textbooks more interactive and digitalized and more engaging. And now Top Hat is, is we offer solution for professors, we call it before, you know, during and after class. So anything that, so professors can flip, like flip classrooms, so professors can, can you know, assign uh, stuff for students to do it before they come to class. Now all the data comes, so professors can look at the, the data, now they're prepared, they go to the lecture, they, uh, you know, they can still engage the students during the lecture, uh, asking them questions, um, you know, do some, discussions or games or stuff in the class and then after the class they can you know everything is sort of seamlessly integrated to one solution saves professors a lot of time and um, you know so it's a very you know end-to-end experience for students I had a question most and I, I appreciate you giving the background on on top hat because I think I know some people who use the platform and others aren't as familiar with uh, these platforms that are really good at engaging students. When I think about Critic, you talk about something that it reminds me of. So I have, I have a question and I, and I have a comment. So in that platform, you can kind of, I'm probably upvote is the wrong word, but determine who the best uh, peer feedback provider is. Is that correct? Correct. That's correct. Okay. It, it's interesting that you that you talked about how the profs don't always know what the best questions to provide is there's a great book called teaching what you don't know and the book argues that profs who often teach in disciplines just outside of their expertise so it's not like someone in english teaching and engineering but perhaps a fluid dynamics teaching engineer teaching first year uh, they make the case that those faculty members often have the most engaging lectures and they ask the best assessment questions because they're asking things that they know they would need to be asked to reinforce the mm -hmm. content where someone who's an expert has now forgotten long ago mm -hmm. uh, what, what it was like prior to being that expert. So it's an interesting way that you've turned this around, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like absolutely. What you say makes complete sense. We all have experience, like all of us. The, the best way of learning, like at Top Hat, we say, you know, learn by doing. Here with Critic, we say learning by teaching. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, sort of they're related, but like that's basically what you're talking about is, you know, I was a TA myself because I did my PhD. I, I, had the, <laughs> I had to spend a lot of time in academic myself before I started uh, being an entrepreneur. But it's, it, it is true, exactly. Like I learned a lot of things actually myself when I started TAing them. And like you said, the reason I actually became very curious and I started Top Hat was because 
because the material are new to me and I, I know I was teaching and I expected that students would ask me some question during the class mm-hmm. and I and I felt that you know I want to build something for the students to to not be shy and ask questions and so I was very curious myself like you said once you teach something for many years then you take them for granted you you know you you forgot even what your audience don't know and there's another saying they say you know um, uh, don't ask don't ask a man or woman uh, don't judge a man by by their answers judge them by their questions um, that's another way to say so uh, it is true you know people that they just give you the answer uh, they're not necessarily the the ones that they're really engaged at the the high level of you know their, their, their cognitive uh, thinking, so they're, they might just be regurgitating some things that they don't even understand. Well, that's a, that's a really good point, and I uh, you're I like that you're alluding as what is intelligence? It's kind of the question, right? What does it really mean? And one of the things that you talked about on your on your website, or that that is talked about, is is the idea of critical thinking. And I guess the question I have for you is: Do you think that students, perhaps in this day and age of higher education, lack some of the critical thinking skills they would require to be not just successful in university, but in perhaps their profession as well. And do you think that there's a a cause for the lack of critical thinking? I I guess what I'm getting at is, do you think that's changed over time? And what do you think the the primary cause of that is if there is a lack of those skills being learned in higher education? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I would be cautious saying that the, the, gen, the new generations, they actually lack critical thinking because I do think that a lot of them do think critically. Uh, and, you know, I, I, and I, I, you know I'm, maybe I've been away from, you know, new generation, like students go to, to, to universities, they're 20 years younger than me. But I do always, one of the things that I always try to do is that I rehire a lot of co-op students. Um, the reason we do is because I, I, you know, as a person who is involved in education, especially higher education market, I do want to understand this, you know, I guess this new generations, how they think, how they do. And I'm going to be honest with you. I feel that, the, you know, we do actually, you know, a lot of good interviews. So we obviously pick the best of students, but they always impress me in terms of how they show their critical thinking, how they actually I feel like when I was at their age, a lot of cases, I, you know, I was not actually thinking as critically as they do sometimes. So I'm not sure if it's the right way, right thing to say that they have lost critical thinking. I think they're frustrated because, as I said, the education is not caring about their digital. So I think they do still develop their critical thinking through, you know, maybe discussions, online discussions, maybe with their friends or uh, different places that they do. But unfortunately, I would say the way that education in, at universities, the way that their grades are assigned or the way that assignments are created um, with all those scantron, you know, multiple choice questions, they're, they're just, they're not really, you know, assessed using their critical thinking. Um, uh, but, you know, on the other hand, I would, I do believe that there are definitely cases where you know, there are part of, you know, I would say there are evidently, there are a cohort of students that they truly lack critical thinking. And I think that's true. Just, you know, looking at, I guess, how you see some, you know, people just share things and most social, like we're just going through social media. Sometimes you would be amazed at how people, you know, (laughs) these days just take things under face value without actually thinking if that's what you know? What's there uh, is right or wrong? If there's citations there, if that's coming from the right source, so there's definitely some problems there. I agree with that side, but I, I'm still not sure if you know if I want to take an average. Um, if 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 there is a gap between the new generation and the previous generation, I don't have any uh, conclusive answer for that. Well, well yeah. even I, I think you make a good point there, Mosin. Like uh, recently, I, I shared an article that I came across uh, from Forbes magazine, and you know, with um, employers, especially. I mean, your uh, PhD was uh, in the research area of artificial intelligence, and there's a, a lot of the soft skills that employees, uh, you know, should have. That
that should they should go and develop during um, their academic career. Uh, but there was nine mm-hmm. that they listed, and uh, out of those nine, it was creativity, mm-hmm. it was analytical, critical thinking, emotional intelligence, interpersonal mm-hmm. communication, active learning, growth mindset, mm-hmm. uh, decision making, leadership skills, cultural intelligence, and then embracing change, especially now that we're mm-hmm. in, in the pandemic. I think that you can see yeah. is a big one. But, um, you know, given these kind of soft skills, and I mean, you just talked about this too, even in terms of your interviewing, like, what do you look for mm-hmm. uh, in terms? terms of the new uh, graduates. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, like you, you hit the nail on the head. It's true. It's all softer skill these days because uh, harder skills can be learned. Uh, it's, you know, you give, we give everyone tutorials. It's online materials. Just go and learn it, um, how to use tools or like how to even code or stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, we, we do look for soft skills, as you said, for uh, students. We want to make sure that they're... Uh, they're adaptable, so they're they're open to to feedback, and then they do have sort of you know self reflect on on their their work, and uh, and they're eager, um, you know they're they're motivated, um, and communication skills is very important for sure. Um, when I came to Canada, I couldn't speak English. You know, I came here at the age of 26, and one thing I learned myself was that um, I read a blog about it. It was that you know. Uh, you know, the most successful entrepreneurs are the entrepreneurs who actually are native or they, they know how to speak English. And that's, that's a fact. You know, you, you can start complaining that, uh, well, this is, you know, discriminations. Why should just be native, you know, Native Americans have more chance of success? But it's not, I don't, you know, the way that I took it at that time, I was like, it's not about, you know, people, the world is being against you. It's just like, you need to convey your ideas clearly to people to understand. Um, and that's as, as simple as that. So if you really want to succeed in the workplace, you do need to spend a lot of time to know how you speak to people and how you can actually express yourself, how you should, when you're frustrated, when you, when you want some things, you tell what you want clearly. So a lot of times people feel that just because they want something, um, you know, that everyone around them should know what they want. So things along those lines. So, you know, definitely there is a lot of those that are a thing that determines someone's success at their work. Yeah, and I mean, currently you're also working with several university partners, and I think that's how we originally got connected. Is uh, mm-hmm. because at the time you were in discussions with the Haskane School of Business, um, and uh, you know, again, congratulations on closing that deal right before the mm-hmm. the start of the semester. But um, maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about how the universities are using the Critic uh, platform in the uh, classroom and. Um, uh, if you can also maybe elaborate on what the response rate has been from the students. Yeah, sure. So we are still very young, you know, like I'm talking to you just literally uh, after almost uh, just about a year since we launched the product. And last year we launched it and I was just a sort of MVP of the product. And a year from ne- uh, a year before, I was at the stage that I had no idea how people want to use Critic and how students react to it. Um, so, uh, but in the last year, we learned a lot from it. So the good answer, I guess, has been based on our growth is that it's actually something that resonates with professors and students. So, um, there, there, when we talk to professors, they, uh, like the, the concept is very simple to them. Like, wow, yeah, I mean, this is great. You know, peer evaluation is important. Students learn a lot of this from it. Um, from the perspective of the some, some professors, especially the ones that teach intro-level courses, uh, we needed to educate them a little bit because they, um, what we see the trend is that professors start using it at their upper year courses where they feel that the classes are smaller, maybe the students are already more senior, they can do peer evaluations, but not maybe for like 18, 19 years who just left high school and came to university. So we see sometimes that there is those sort of concern, but in almost all cases that professors use the credit for the upper year, they then decided to use it for the interlevel courses the next semester. Mm-hmm. And I think that just shows that how they realize that, you know, the, the, I think they found out the capabilities of a students and how students can actually help each other uh, and, and and, and it saves professors, honestly, a lot of time. Professors really don't feel that they're the, the only one who needs to give feedback to students. So 
Um, so that's definitely, you know, some things that we've seen is working, that professors love uh, using it. And one thing that also I noticed is that STEM courses specifically are very interested in critic. Um, I don't know why, maybe it's because in STEM courses, for us, just generally speaking, they've never been a fan of multiple choice question. I know I was in engineering, and engineering multiple choice question never was, you know, uh, in a sort of assessment style. So for the STEM courses, this definitely was a tool that they, a lot of people just started using. So we had a lot of professors in, in, in engineering and also business. Business programs, as we can, we can see in, in, in Calgary, which was the first enterprise deals we got. Uh, it's something that it seems like professors have been looking for a solution for many years. It's not uh, it's something new to them. Um, from the standpoint of the students, I would say uh, students, they typically... Uh, well, they love to get, you know, that they are getting a lot of feedback from the students. The only things that we hear from the students is that obviously it's a lot of work for them. So we hear from a lot of the students that they feel like, oh, you know, you know, no one likes to write essay. Even when I was a student, it was the toughest, you know, kind of assignments that, oh, yeah, sit down and just write an essay. Um, critic assignments are not obviously objective assignments where you just you know answer multiple choice questions or quick short answers. So you actually need to sort of, as I said, curate content or spend time to write something. is more about creativity and creations and things like that. So obviously that's going to increase the workload uh, on the student side. But what I would say is that we try to educate professors to tell them to um, uh, you know, balance the workload for our students. Because if a students feel that they're overloaded, then they're not going to perform well in any of assignments. So we are still like looking at the data. We we are surveying students. We're trying to understand uh, critic activities. We don't encourage professors to do you know activities like 30, 40 per chapter or in even a semester. So it's only five to six or seven activities that they need to do per. Uh, per semester, sometimes some professors don't realize it, so they, they do a lot of them. Uh, but you know, but, but I guess we, we, we have to, as part of the change, I think everyone is, is going through this transition. So professors start realizing that you know maybe they need to change the way that they're assessing students and give them a little bit more of a project-based, this sort of team working exercises, um, a few, but uh, but but hopefully much deeper. Uh, you know, in terms of um, Mosin, like for the feedback itself through critics, so from my understanding, it was uh, you had the option of anonymous feedback from the yep. fellow classmates. For sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it is anonymous. So, yeah. And then from that, like, do feel, people, like, do, do the students actually feel a little bit better by that mm -hmm. like, because it is anonymous? Yeah, 100%. Uh, it, and we, like, we did the research before that, before we wanted to make a decision whether it is anonymous. We talked to professors and also we, we, there was some research done on, the, on that. Yes, this is proven. There is no surprise that when, you're, when your identity is not known, then you're, you know, no one wants to throw their, their friends under the bus. Usually people are very nice to, when, when they feel that they're next to each other. When you're, um, you don't see uh, your friends or you feel that you're anonymous, then you tend to be more critical. Uh, so we see that. That's, that's the main, uh, one of the key elements of critic that people love um, is that this is anonymous. Um, having said that, though, there are also cases where, um, you know, we, we, we think that it benefits everyone if this is not anonymous. Um, I think ideally what you want to do is that you want to start with anonymous feedback once so that people, are like especially people that they may just be nice, so they kind of get used to sort of giving feedback. And then at some point, then they bring another element of accountability, you know, uh, because the real workplace is a workplace where people interact with each other, they know each other, so they need to be able to be comfortable to give feedback and receive feedback. So we think that um, it's a good exercise for people to start giving anonymous feedback, but once they go to upper year or down the road, uh, we also encourage professors, especially at graduate levels or smaller courses that, you know, leverage um, non-anonymous feedback. We don't actually have that feature quite yet built. That's something that we're building on our uh, roadmap. It's been requested by a few professors, but as I said, majority of people like it to be anonymous. Do you run into issues with students being inappropriate with the, the feedback then? Not really. I think the whole notion of students being inappropriate, I think maybe even at the top, I don't remember, we build this discussion module 
Uh, so the discussion module was something that in live class, because Top Hat is all around synchronous teaching, like in class, you just launch things in the class, so you can there's no control over it. So we had built this tech discussion feature. I remember we designed it where you launch a discussion and then you know everyone just texts in or typing their answer, it goes on the board, everyone in the class could see it. So then there was a request that came, some professor said, you know, I want anonymous. And then we, we thought about it, we're like, oh, okay, but is it good? Like, is it actually useful? And then oh, we thought that this is actually very cool. We thought that this is actually very important to be anonymous. But um, but some people were skeptical, say, like, I don't want something goes back on the, pro on the projector or something. But, you know, I think people just... Uh, sometimes they're too scared. Uh, students are actually very, um, very, very cautious, and they they don't you know abuse or misbehave. I think maybe back in, I would say early days of internet, maybe those kind of behavior were more uh, common. But I think these days, you know, everyone has had plenty of platforms where they could rant on and just complain. Um, you know, they usually take that as an opportunity to be to be constructive. We haven't seen uh, abusive behavior. We have seen cases where students just being wrong, like you know their feedback just being completely incorrect or not correct, and the students want to flag it, and we have a flagging system where people can flag it, as I said, uh, you know, but uh, but nothing like extraordinary or you know completely um, unexpected. Yeah, and I mean, even I think some of that aspect, uh, you know, it, it comes in where you have the student code of conduct, uh, conduct, and uh, you know, you can kind of rectify it that way. I mean, uh, at both institutions that I teach, like we actually have our own mm -hmm. student uh, code of conduct, right? So, you know, there is an expectation that That's they right. have to behave professionally. So yeah, and we always know if if even though the professors, you know, the peers don't know that they're, they're, you know, but they know that their the teachers eventually know. So if they say some things, they, you know, they should be accountable because the, their information is still tied to their, their account, so. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I guess on the topic of those features, are there some uh, features that you're really getting excited about that you have in the pipeline for Critic? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, yeah, like the, the Critic is not just like, you know, there's peer evaluations, you know, software out there. I think. The, as I said, the biggest things about Critic is that, it, you know, it's not just like a platform where people give each other feedback. It is more about how you would rate those feedback and how you identify great feedbacks from maybe non-great non feedback or poor feedbacks. And I think that's the area that we are very excited because that's what we excel and that's what our whole our algorithm is all about. Um, so the other things is that we do have a still professors in control, so the students can dispute and flag, and you know professors can jump in, and and then they they are still intermediate between the students. So it's not completely offhanded. So students are still in control, and this all depends on how professors want to be involved. If they want to just you know review every single piece of feedback, or no, maybe they just want to review those that they raise their hand and dispute it. But um, this whole you know. Uh, I would say the AI part of it is something that excites me the most because we we are you know we constantly looking at the data. Uh, we it's a sort of a social science, uh, like giving feedback to peers. It's complete. It's interesting science. It's uh, there's a lot of opportunity for actually studying how students react because part of the feedback, which I don't know if I you guys knew, but maybe I should explain it, is that you do when the students give feedback to each other, they receive feedback on their feedback. And the feedback on their feedback is about how their written uh, evaluations has made their peers feel. So it's a lot around the students' actually perceptions and their feeling when they actually read some piece of comments or feedback. So they get those data. Students then rate each other based on two axes. One axis is on how motivational the piece of feedback is, which is if it's very motivational or it's very discouraging and it's very rude maybe. And the other axis is how helpful and critical it is. Um, and these two, you know, axes that go hand to hand, I, you know, adopted it from the radical candor, uh, you know, sort of platform uh, paradigm. But we use a top hat as one of our leadership principles, where you you have to be both caring and at the same time you need to challenge your peers. So, so we we get those data uh, from our platform. And then, and then, so we, we constantly are studying those data because there are, as people behave differently when they receive the same piece of feedback. Some people are more sensitive, some people more, you know, you give them feedback, they just want to get more. They say, give me more, give me more. But others, you need to be very careful because 
people are sensitive. You know, if you give them two or three feedback and all critical, but none of them is you don't highlight anything um, positive. Or, you know, the science shows that we remember negative things four times more than positive things. So if you only give them one positive things and one negative things. So those are the things that, you know, may not necessarily help a student. So, we, we, you know, we, we are, you know, we're going to constantly doing, look into data and we are going to build feature to bring awareness for the students. So they be aware of what category they belong to. Are they sort of sensitive people? Maybe, maybe they, they are, you know, maybe it's not that their peers have been rude. It's just them being a little bit more sensitive to receiving feedback. I'm curious. You know, I like that explanation, like the, the feedback on the feedback. It almost reminds me like a feedback loop or something. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I, you know, actually a, a good idea might even be for you to kind of explore in the future. Like I, I look at our own, like from an instruction standpoint, like the feedback that we receive from students. So mm -hmm. like one of the things that I do is even throughout the semester, I'll just go and send out a, a form for my students and uh, they have the option where they can provide anonymous feedback. Sure. But I, I think you're truly, you're right because it's funny I wrote a monster uh, email this uh, past week to my students and I addressed all the negative things and there was tons of positive as well but there was a couple of negative things that I just wanted to mm -hmm. kind of point out to them and address because especially in this online environment where students are not you know uh, prepared for online learning mm -hmm. they usually you have to take even courses on how to do mm -hmm. that and then on top of it they're not used to this these different modes and I I mean again I we've kind of talked about it throughout the the podcast where we there's different uh, like what I call like true online teaching isn't happening right now this is still emergency remote mm -hmm. and then there's people who might do it synchronously there's asynchronous there's a hybrid right right and so a lot of the, what I think I'm finding with the students the ones that are finding a, a little bit of a challenge is that they are not able to manage their time. But uh, I think from an instruction standpoint, because I mean, that's always an issue because we do get evaluated on the student feedback. But a lot of times either we get like people who really love us or they like it's the other extreme, which yeah. <laughs> there's all the negative, like the hate comments. Right. So, yeah, that doesn't yeah, happen no. to librarians, Chris. We don't mark anybody. We don't hand out a lot of Fs. So, you know, it's easy. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Even with critic too, when we get we ask students, uh, you know, how they love critic. We don't we ask them like NPS questions, but like yeah, it's polar. So you see some students really love us, and then there is another group that they really hate. This is this polarity is it looks like that's just a that's the that's the opposite of normal distribution that exists for uh, people's yeah. feedback. Most of but you know you've touched on that as well though right because uh, some of it isn't I don't even think it's the technology it's how you structure it and if you had like several of these feedback exercises every week mm -hmm. that's going to be an overload of work mm -hmm. and uh, I'll tell you teaching online I remember we actually had like peer feedback on discussion forums mm -hmm. and originally when we first started like when I was teaching several years ago we would have students do three original posts three replies to their mm -hmm. you know peers Right. Uh, and so it just became too much work. Mm -hmm. And then over time, now we've actually cut back. Uh, there's all, certain weeks that mm -hmm. we just give them time off so that they can focus right. on their actual term yep. projects. Right. So I think that's just more of a delivery, like a uh, issue, right? right. Structuring the course curriculum. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, and I don't actually know, sometimes professors actually don't know the life of a student's. They don't know how many other courses students have, and there is always those issues. Some students really, it's, there are cases where, you know, students might have taken different courses. All of them are, you know, heavy loading, you know, heavy loaded courses. So, um, you know, we, we try to, we, we try to share the, the experience from other professors and give us, give our instructors the best practices. Mosin, I had a question, um, just not, I know we have some others and uh, I don't want to keep you too long, but based on, you said something really interesting to me about students knowing kind of where they are and kind of alluding to the personality spectrum. And, and one of the episodes we did, I believe it was episode five of this podcast, we interviewed a, a psych professor at UFC named Tom O'Neill, who has this platform called ITP Metrics to improve group work, essentially. And one of okay. them is getting people to do personality assessments to figure out what their dynamics are probably going to be like prior. So mm -hmm. I, the reason I bring that up is because I'm curious what is the way that you would measure or show to the end user um, mm -hmm. 
where they fit in terms of their ability to receive feedback. Is it based on the psych literature? Is it, um, do you have something proprietary? I'm not looking to give for you to give away mm-hmm. your secret sauce, but it's more, I'm curious about how you would show that to someone so it's meaningful because they're, they're not going to be a, an academic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the so there's a different uh, models for giving feedback. Like there is a RISE model, there is a SBI model. Um, some of them are more maybe suited for um, you know business in the business context. Some of them I guess more a school academic. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those, but there's definitely certain like their sandwich model that you know everyone hates these days. But uh, there's definitely different sort of. Uh, models for providing feedback, and I would say we are still at the early, you know early stage. As I said, we just been you know in it for about a year. Uh, we constantly are, are are you know engaged with the psychology professors and people that are in this feedback. Um, but at the end of the day, as I said, we, we it's customized. I think it's it, we in my opinion is everyone's received feedback differently. It depends on their personality. And um, sometimes you also need to be careful for us of education technology, like there is, you know, privacy compliances that it comes with these sort of gathering information. So if you want to go and then understand how everyone's is, then we need to, I guess, you know, be more careful with if the, the, the laws are, are, are in place or if you're abiding with them. So it's something that we, you know, it's going to be an ongoing project for us to work on. But right now you're just using the RISE model. Um, uh, where students need to read um, um, uh, someone's work and then they reflect and then what's the I um, just I just forgot uh, what was that because we are just designing it as we speak this week before we just had the regular you know write something positive write something negative but we realized that that's not working very well, so we are changing that. And eventually, we're going to give professors the option so they can pick whatever model that they want. On the group side, you mentioned we actually do have group activities, which are other areas that I'm very excited about. Uh, and that's a, that's, a, that's a whole like new <laughs> domain, that like how you create group dynamics. And I think you know, we just have like a very basic features, but yeah, like the diversity and inclusion, for example, is another element. Like how do you create groups that they're they're most effective. So you could do that through again people's personality tests or um, or you know diversity or other things. So um, there hasn't been much technologies built around you know group activities. Usually it's like as soon as either you know forced to be part of a group to do the, together or they can pick their own friends to be um, form a group. So these are only the two choices right now that uh, instructors have. But we're gonna you know we're gonna add more options there. Well, you might like Tom's ITP networks and we can, uh, if you're interested in his research, I can send some links uh, to you because he's done some pretty cool work in that field. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I would love to have more uh, readings. So the RISE model uh, stands for uh, R, reflect, I, inquire, and S, suggest, and L, elevate. Uh, that's the model that uh, we recently are uh, doing uh, designs and, and, and gathering feedback from professors to incorporate into our platform. Uh, so, Molson, uh, one of the common themes in the podcast has been the potential disruption of higher education space by non-university entrants. So, for example, Google's new certifications. What do you think the biggest challenges facing universities are? And do you think they will have to change their business model to succeed moving forward? Hmm. Right. There's a lot of discussions, especially post-COVID, uh, about the, the role of universities. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, like I think everyone knows. One thing is everyone agrees with is that the <clears throat> universities need to change um, you know, one way or the other, they just need to change. It's the, the old model doesn't work. Uh, one, the, but the thing that is much less clear um, is that, you know, how exactly that's going to look like. And I think everyone has different ideas. Um, so, uh, you know, in my opinion, I think I, w- I would say that universities are going more toward um, delivering more modular sort of bite size programs. Um, I think, um, and I don't know how long it's going to take to get to there. Um, I think it's going to eventually happen because there is definitely a, f- a pressure from the non, like you said, 
non-academic, non-academic institutions, whether they're boot camps or all, or these new programs where they're attracting a lot of students, preparing them for the job market. Uh, but I do think that universities uh, have recognized that because I do hear uh, from some big universities that they're already started building this sort of program, new program. But ideally, it would be some things that you know students go to to a you know um, to to universities and then they uh, they learn a bunch of uh, different kind of courses. They don't even need to pick the, their major at the beginning, and I think they then there would be. Um, then they can work, you know, they, they're going to do some work and then maybe do a co-ops or interim or whatever, and then they're going to start finding out which, if they want to be specialized or want to continue being more generalized, and then they come back to school and maybe pick different kind of courses. Um, this is, I think, that's, you know, more of sort of agile and adaptive model. And some things that I think that it would be also more collaborative with industry. So for us at Critic, the, the, what we can contribute in this domain, and that's some things that I've been doing as research on, is that how we could help students um, find out which program they're going to be more successful, and also how help universities to to identify, I guess, what are the you know how to assess the students that they get into these each of these programs. Again, like how, what are, what are the elements of assessment? So as, that's what I'm, I said earlier that, you know, critical thinking is maybe it's great as one element, but just the whole problem of how you assess, how you assess um, human beings on, you know, whether they're going to be successful, you know, in whatever they're going to take in that course or in the program or in the job that they're going to take. I think that's, you know, that's a, that's an interesting market. So, we're trying to find out with doing research to, to hopefully contribute. It's interesting that you talk about bite-sized learning. Uh, what you're describing is very much what universities used to be like when they were mm-hmm. founded, or some, at least some of the European universities when they were founded in the UK or prior to when it was the United Kingdom. Uh, the curriculum wasn't as rigid. I don't know if they had a bite-sized certificate, so they used to have certificates in typing and stuff like that. We mm-hmm. wouldn't have those anymore. But you're right. They used to be more bite-sized. The curriculum, as long as you took uh, X number of courses or credits, you would get a degree. It didn't really matter if you jumbled them together. It's almost like things have become much more closed and streamlined and specialized. And it's almost what you're suggesting needs to broaden up. People need to cherry pick the skills that they need and it should be a little bit more open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, again, a couple of my friends, um, they're, they're, you know, directors or founders of some of these boot camps. So uh, I see that their business is growing and I, I mean, I can definitely see that, you know, students generally, their interest in those programs is increasing and university is going to realize sooner or later. I think right now universities are still... Um, continuing their current model because of a lot of opportunities for international students. So the, there are still like certain countries where the, they don't have quiet the, the job market is very different than let's say North America, where it's more about you know creativity, entrepreneurship. So like you know let's say some countries there are still a lot about you know harder skills and and uh, you know learning specializations in particular areas. And, and universities, a lot of cases, they see that there is interest uh, in those programs. So they that's I think drag them on. But I would say, you know, if they want to serve their own domestic students, there is definitely a, a push to to become more modular. Interesting. Okay, well, just to wrap up, uh, is there anything else, Mosin, that you'd like to tell our audience about or anyone or anything that you'd like to go and plug in the podcast? Um, no, that's, I think you guys covered pretty much everything on the, uh, on Critic. Um, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I just would add some things that it's very um, the you know the future of education, in my opinion, in the next two years, three years is going to be very unknown. Like no one, even us, we are waiting to a lot of cases. We we're waiting to see how universities react and how classes are going to change. Um, you know, I've been in top at for ten years, but you know, I I've always been certain. You know that okay. Well, this is going to you know next next year or next two years. This is going to how things are going to look like. Uh, it's a very interesting area for sure, just because it's very you know universities are a big part of our ecosystem. Just they're you know they're big entities, lots of professors, lots of jobs there, and um, you know it's very interesting to see how you know 
post-pandemic or after pandemic, you know, things are going to change. And I think it's, you know, it's very interesting to see really um, how things will change. It's very unknown to, to, to many people. Well, that's a fantastic place to leave off. Um, we do have one more section, Mosin, which is, uh, it's not meant to surprise our listeners. We have a section called rapid fire questions, which are not given ahead of time, but there's no, we promise there's nothing, uh, ridiculous or political or anything. They are lighthearted questions, uh, that we ask all our, uh, guests, mostly personal preference questions. And, uh, you you can answer as many as are, are relevant to you. So. We're looking mostly for just yes or no answers for these or personal preference. So I realize we haven't given you that much warning, but are you uh, ready for the rapid fire section? Oh, sure. Let's <laughs> give it a try. <laughs> okay. It'll be easy. I promise. So the first question is Mac or PC? Mac. iPhone or Android? iPhone. You <laughs> hesitated. It's hesitation. <laughs> Used to be iPhone, but now it's a little bit of hesitation. Yeah. Standing or sitting desk? Uh, <laughs> sitting. Okay. Ebook or paper? Ebook. Synchronous, asynchronous, or hybrid learning? Hybrid. Cable or streaming services? streaming services what's your preferred web browser chrome uh google meet skype zoom or other uh, zoom coffee or tea uh tea star wars or star trek star trek batman or superman superman Console or PC gaming? None. None. Okay. Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> None. <laughs> Cats or dogs? Dogs. And we have one last one, which is Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. Backstreet Boys. Yes, I think Backstreet Boys is winning. We keep a running tally. Uh, I appreciate your uh, your good spirit in doing the rapid fire. We we randomly add these as a, as more of a joke at the end of each. Sure. Each Are interview. you going to publish some some uh, some stats on on this, so we know which That's one is tip. more popular? <laughs> we should go back and add them up. I'm I'm pretty sure it's like a dead heat for a lot of these, but I I, I suspect that Backstreet Boys is definitely in the lead versus mm-hmm. NSYNC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had one person singing. Uh, that will come out soon. So. Nice. Yeah. Cool. That's going to be next month. So <laughs> we have a professor that's actually going to sing. <laughs> yeah, we did a little bit of a dance. But uh, Mosin, I wanted to thank you very much for, for taking the time to be interviewed for our podcast. I, I really appreciate it. I know Chris does. And it's a, it's a pleasure to meet you as well and hear about your company. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It was great talking to both of you. Yeah, no, this has been awesome. You can learn more about EdTech Examined by going to our website, edtechexamined.com. There, you'll find ways to subscribe, as well as host information, our social media accounts, and our blog posts. Our blog posts are also published through Medium on the EdTech Examined publication. You can contact EdTech Examined by emailing us at hey at edtechexamined.com. If you have an EdTech question you'd like us to answer on a future episode, you can email us or reach us through Twitter using the hashtag EdTechOfficeHours. You can find EdTechExamined on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at EdTechExamined, and we also have a LinkedIn page you can follow. Until next time. And I'm Chris Hong the audio producer for EdTech Examined. You can get in touch with me and contact me through all of my social media at my website, which is chrishong.ca. That's C-H-R-I-S-H-O-A-N-G dot C-A.